We're going to be talking tonight about a, a subject that I don't remember that I've ever preached, a topic on the divine nature, and just took a whole time to do that. And also next Wednesday night, I'll be ministering as well and taking the next part of that. But I kept hearing in my heart these last few days, preparing for the message, that we, we actually have and we are partakers of the divine nature. And so I found myself going, I think I know what that means. <laughs> But I took some time to study it and to study and to work it out and think it out and pray it out. And so Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a worker that's not ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. And so I kept hearing it over and over in my heart that we are, we already are partakers of the divine nature. So if I were to do a survey or a test and ask you, how many of you know exactly what that means? Well, hallelujah. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1, I'm excited about sharing the word with you. So let's begin reading at verse number 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4 is the text for tonight. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight for your word. I do pray over the hearts and the minds, Lord, the listening part of us, Lord, that we will hear not just a man speaking, but we'll hear what the Spirit would say to us in this church. I thank you, Lord, tonight that you're also going to give me that ability to articulate, to say with accuracy and with sanity, the Word of God revealed. Lord, that will transform us. It's how we're transformed. It's how we grow. It's how we change to be more like Jesus, to be conformed into Jesus' image. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. You desire for the Lord to speak your heart tonight. Come on, give a big amen. 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 Hallelujah. So, in order to understand what the divine nature is, I begin recognizing that if we're going to do that, and many times it's what's called contrast, you have to go to the other side to figure out what it's not. And so, in case you don't know, according to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, there's several verses where it talks about what we were born with, and we were not naturally born with the divine nature. Did you know that? Some of you knew that. So Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading for us in verse uh, number 7, and it's on the screen also. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Verse 8, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 9 says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16, if you skip down, says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely get a stomachache. <laughs> you shall surely what? So y'all help me tonight with this. 
So what died when they ate the fruit? The story goes on to say that that, that woman that you gave me, <laughs> Eve got it. To her credit, she was deceived. Boy, that's, that talking snake, that ought to have been a sign to begin with. That talking snake helped her to think that that was something. And she looked and it says that she saw the fruit and it was pleasant to the eyes. And so she actually wasn't standing there when God said it to Adam, but Adam told her. So when she ate the fruit, she thought, what does in surely die mean? What died? Did my hair fall out? <laughs> Did what died? And so she looked at her husband and said, don't know what died. Here, you take a bite. So he took a bite as well. And then it talks about that their eyes were opened and something died. In that day, it died. So what died, y'all? Walk with me through it. Did their physical body die that day? Did their spirit part of them that was having relationship with the Father and communication with the Father, speaking to Him, understanding all these great spiritual insights, did the spirit part of them die? Next question, did the soul part of them, their mind stop thinking, their will stop working, their emotions stop feeling, did the soul part of them die? No. So what died in them, you got it, what died in them was a spirit part of them. And I like to think of it that it just, it didn't just go away. But I like to think, and by the way, in case you don't know, when we're born naturally, we are still born with the same. But we have a spirit that is not really functioning well. Can I get a witness? So that spirit part of us, I like a word, die means it sounds like it just stopped and just went away. Like we think of die, you just kind of melted away and you don't have a spirit anymore. That's not the picture, but listen, the picture is that that way that he had to relate to the Father and relate to God and have relationship with God and communication with God, that spirit part of him, I like this word, became dormant. It just laid there. <laughs> no communication, no talking in that day that he died. So we're born of the spirit and I believe that we still have this same situation. So what we have in contrast with not having the divine nature yet, we're not born naturally with the divine nature. What he had was a fleshly nature. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says it this way. It says, And you, he, talking about Jesus, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Did you hear the dead word? in which you once walked according to the course of this world, talking about by your fleshly nature, the sinful nature, to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So in the flesh with a sinful nature, I found in, in studying this out that there were certain things that an unbeliever, and by the way, that's what we were too, is where we started with. Started with an a sinful nature or a fleshly nature. So I wrote down in my notes, there's five things that the sinful nature part of us had. Okay, here we go. Number one, the sinful nature was it followed the ways of the world as unbelievers. It followed the lifestyles of other unbelievers. Scripture says it this way. It says, be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good manners. If they, so they follow the ways of the world. Number two, it also means, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that they follow the ruler of the kingdom who was identified in Ephesians as the prince of the power of the air. 
Just to cut to the chase, it's talking about Satan. That same talking snake thing. <laughs> He's showing up, and so by that it's talking about they follow the ruler of the kingdom. I like to think about it like this, as because a lot of people don't realize how much influence that the devil has over them as unbelievers. They think they're making choices, and they think that they're in charge of their life, but the truth is they're under the strings of a puppeteer, and they're simply puppets being orchestrated by what the devil is doing with them. But thank you, Jesus. I'll cut to part of this chase on this. But because of Jesus, when he came and the person becomes born again or saved, what he does, one of the first things is he cuts the strings to the puppeteer. And he no longer has that charge over an unbeliever. Hallelujah. So, well, that's a good word, isn't it? So, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Number three, third thing that people have with a sinful nature, unbelievers, uh, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, if you're taking notes, is that they continue, um, they continue with their living, living like the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, among, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. It didn't say most of us. It said, well, listen one more time. Among whom also we all, it's kind of the version of Texas talk, you all, <laughs> but it's we all, once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Wow. Number four, what do unbelievers have? Number four is they have the conduct of unbelievers as in the sphere of the cravings of their sinful nature or the flesh, and the word flesh actually means, it's a, it's a Greek word which means sarkos, and it's talking about in that that something else is driving and leading us as unbelievers. So that's number four. And then the last one, number five, that I thought about as unbelievers is this. Their thoughts or their thinking processes of an unbeliever that are formed are perverted or distorted. Can I get a witness? They don't have right thinking. Or they have stinking thinking. <laughs> but they have bad thinking. We had bad thinking, see? So our mind has to be renewed by the Word of God. It's a process. It's a progress. It takes time. It's not instantaneous. It's your mind is just fixed. It takes time. Come on, poke somebody beside you and say, listen to this. Come on. Listen to this. It takes time to process this out because our minds are a mess. <laughs> right? So, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, but in Paul's writing, he writes, because although they knew God or they knew of God, they did not glorify Him or turn their heart to Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, which means incapable of producing any useful result or it's pointless in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that's a bad deal. So as I was thinking about that and praying over that as I'm about to get to the divine nature and hear about all the good things that we got, I began thinking about how it was that we were a mess and didn't even know that we were a mess. Wow. And all these things that was going on in us. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 is the text again. And I want to read it one more time. It says, verse 4, by which you have been given, by which have been given. One more time. Has been given. Not we hope to get one day, but by virtue of you becoming born again, you have been given. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of us that we don't know we've been given. 
And it has been given. And so you can pray about it, talk about it, ask God about it. And if you could hear him, sometimes he might say to you, what are you asking me that for? You already gave it to you. <laughs> you have been given. So my question was, so if I have been given, I don't really know that I have been given. How did I know that I got it? When did I get it? <laughs> right? So you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises Next part, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. So what are, if you're taking notes, what are the exceedingly great and precious promises? There's two that was given to you. To you. One of those was the gift of salvation. Isaiah chapter 9, there was a prophecy and it became fulfilled that unto you a child will be born. That when Jesus came, it was going to bring with him and at birth and at his death and resurrection, he brought unto you and I, he brought the gift of salvation to you. That's an exceeding great and precious promise that you got. So what did that gift that we have, what did that do for me? Well, it just saved me from hell. No, no, much more than that. Because an exceeding great and precious promise, it calls an innate, you were spiritually born again, John 3 and 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. Why did he say that? Because if you're not born again, you're not going to have this partaker of divine nature part of you that's working. You're going to have a dormant, laying there, flatline spirit. But when you became born again, one of the first things after that happened with the puppeteer and cut the strings, Next thing that happened to you was that the spirit party, you stood up, quick and made a line, stood up on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Man, I don't know if y'all even realize that in your life, if you realize that that happened to you, because I was so busy trying to study the Bible and listen to sermons, I became sermonized really good. And I wasn't being attuned to this, that I had something that was, I knew something was going on, something was different inside of me. I knew there's going to have to be a process of my mind being renewed by the Word of God. But I didn't know that, that this part that was standing up. So the first time I read as a new believer, and Jesus was talking, and He said, and I took it personal, you must be born again. And I said back in my heart, I have been. Well, since you have been born again, then one of the things that happened to you was the spirit party. You stood up. And that means you're not standing up this way and thinking about you and yourself anymore. That was the old nature. That was the old man. That was the flesh. Now that part of you is standing this way. And since it's standing this way, that means you now have the ability in prayer to hear what the shepherd is saying to you innately. By virtue of the born-again experience. See, we think it's all here, listening with these kind of ears. No, that's the flesh part. It's that part of us that has spiritual ears that's now listening to the Lord. It's that part of us that has spiritual eyes to be able to see and have faith and mix faith with what the Lord is saying to us. Well, I'm getting excited already. Hallelujah. <laughs> Where the part of me stood up that was born again. Hallelujah. So, with all of that, I wrote down there's four things that we get by virtue of being born again. Number one, if you're taking notes, is that we have been given grace according to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I don't know about you guys, but the church that I grew up in, the denomination that I was in, they didn't talk about grace. Talked about judgment, condemnation, all the don'ts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They had the orange card 
that you can't go and do and can't go and do and, and, and run with those who do and all that. It just messed up. And so all I knew was, was condemnation. All I knew was keeping me down. All I knew was, was pushing me. I didn't hear the what you do do. I heard what you don't do. Yeah, that's right. So in our lives then, to find out that one of the things God gave me, and I'm embarrassed to admit it, I did not know and understand grace until I came to Victory Life 20 years ago. And when I came to Victory Life 20 years ago, and I heard the first time that actually taking a series and teaching about grace and knowing what that was, it changed my life. And I understand what this was. Okay, so I'm hearing and I'm... And I'm talking to the Lord and hearing what He's saying, but to have a grace. And so when Pastor Dwayne gave his definition of grace, it's what he said, grace is the power to be what you don't have the power to be, and grace is the power to do what you don't have the power to do. And I thought, you mean I don't have to do all about these works and just work hard and do these? Well, you got to work in making that mind of yours that's under renewed, being more renewed by the Word. But to recognize that there's so much that we have in our life that what the Lord does in us and through us, it's Him that's doing the work, right? So let's say one more time, make sure it landed. So grace is the power to be what you don't have the power to be, and grace is the power to do what you don't have the power to do. Anybody recognizing this life as a believer is a lot of things you don't have the power to do? And have you been grown enough in the Lord to recognize some places in your life that you don't have the power to be what you need to be? Anybody ever had an identity crisis where you feel like you lost yourself? I'll raise both hands. I lost me twice. (laughs) I'm glad he hung around. (laughs) I, I even know how I did that in my life because I was trying to, I was called to the ministry whenever I was, I was 20 years of age. And in that calling that I had on my life, um, I went to Bible college. I knew by direct, I just knew by direct that the Lord was sending me to Bible college. And so I moved eight hours away from my family. I'd never been out of Texas. And the Lord sent me to Missouri. The show me state. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant until I was in Missouri. And then I found out what they're trying to talk about. You need to show me. It's not just you can tell them. You have to show them. <laughs> right? So that's the way I was in Bible college. In my years of Bible college was, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, putting on the board and in the books and all the things. So you need to, can you show me what you're talking about? And so I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, so you're from Texas and you're telling me you want me to show you. And I said, yes. He said, okay, all right, I'm going to show you. And so he went over to the board and he wrote, I'll never forget it. He wrote on the board and he said, he said, next semester, What's your name again? I said, uh, now hang on. I went by James Brown. <laughs> legal name. Terry's the middle name. And I said, <clears throat> James Brown. <laughs> and he said, oh, I feel good. <laughs> and he said, I'm writing in the left-hand corner of this board what, what I'm going to do sh- to help you be shown. You ready? I said, sure. He wrote, next semester, James Brown, and the class went, oh! <laughs> he wrote, James Brown will be taking next, in the next semester Introduction to Systematic Theology. 
And he said, that's going to show you. I said, I'm taking what? Systematic theology? He said, yep. And he said, you're going to take it every semester. As long as you're in Missouri, and that's going to show you some things you've never known. Because you've been sermonized, but you have not been systematized. Okay. And I did. Whenever I left Bible college and started into the ministry, fast forward, I only had one systematic theology course, systematic theology number seven, that I did not take. And I had one course on the Holy Spirit that I did not take. And I walked away with an incomplete diploma. I went to Boswell for four years as a part of Victory Life. And while I was in Boswell, we weren't as busy as we are here. (laughs) And so I actually said, you know, I got this big jumbo computer thing monitor on the desk. It looks like a television. Um, I think I'll make a phone call. So I called the Bible college and I said, hey, I've got a question. Um, I recognize that I did not finish two courses that I need to do. And I'd like to take these two courses so I can get my degree from the Bible college. And the lady said, let me look up your file. I said, okay. She said, yep, we saw um, right. Okay. Yeah. And so you like two courses. One was systematic theology seven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the other was uh, a course on the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, I want to take those two. She said, okay. She said, well, good news is um, you actually have a diploma that's already signed when you left the college by the people, the original people that were the people in charge of the college. And it's been in a vault being held for you until you completed the two courses. I said, let me get this right. So you're not going to give me my degree in, whenever I was in Boswell, 2006, I think. I think. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a degree where it says you're, all the signatures now. And, and No, it actually will have all the original signatures of, the, of those people, superintendent, principal, all those things. I said, wow. And all that's because you had trust and confidence that I would come back and finish what I started. And I heard the lady say a phrase I've never forgotten. I say quite often now, don't start and stop ministry. Don't start and stop ministry. Don't start and stop. If you're going to start something, finish strong. Go all the way through. If you're going to run the lap, when you're going around the racetrack, or guys, driving around the land, <laughs> finish. It's not fun if you just crash or you're running, but you don't get to the marker and finish that. And there's something that's dynamic about once we have run the race, we have finished the course, there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness that when we stand before the Lord, that we finish the course. When people go and they're promoted from this life and they're promoted into heaven, I really believe that one of the first things that happens when they take their last breath here and their next breath there is Jesus looks at them and He's not standing, sitting behind a big judgment seat with a big gavel. He actually meets them at the gate, I believe, first. We hear a lot about Peter and I, I, I'd be okay. But I think that Jesus is there, don't y'all? If you take your next breath in the, in the presence of the Lord, I think He's there. And I think one of the first things He says to you is, I love you. Welcome home. And I believe that when He does that, then He does like it said. that He, he says, now don't forget, you got a crown of righteousness because you ran the race, you finished the course, and we're not going to give you a ribbon. 
They're going to give you a crown of righteousness. It's been laid up for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. So number one, grace has been given to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Number two, by your becoming saved, your nature changed on the inside of you. And this was a confusing scripture to me for a long time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 in your notes says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... He's a new creation. Old things pass away. What old things pass away? And we think many times about our sin, and that's true. But another thing that passed away about you was that old man, that old fleshly nature passed away from you. And behold, all things are new. So what became new? That new creation part of you, and I'm announcing tonight, in case you don't know, that divine nature, that partaker of the divine nature that stood up on the inside of you. It became a new creation is what Paul said to the church in Corinth. It was, wow, a brand new creation. Not outside, inside. Number three, the divine nature has been, number three, has been sealed by the Spirit in our spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with, Christ, with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Verse 22. Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As a guarantee of what? As a guarantee that you have the... the the partaker of the divine nature on the inside of you. He's not leaving the door open so, so it can walk out or something can be taken from you. It's a sealing of that. So once you got it and realize that you got it, it don't get taken from you. It's always a part of you. No devil can steal it from you. Hallelujah. Nothing can rob it from you. Nothing that you did bad and messed up. You did a piece of stupid. Nothing that can take it, go away. It just No, it is sealed on the inside of us in our spirit by the Holy Spirit. We have, we have a divine new nature and we are partakers of God with this. Hallelujah. Number four. Number four is, and I was a little bit thinking through the partakers word. What might be a word that could help us? So I did some study. Partakers or, listen, or participators in the divine nature that we now have. Believers take on God's very nature as a new creation. That is to become more like Jesus, to become more and more like Him. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, But you are not in the flesh... But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And the life which I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I have it. Not in my flesh, but I have it in my spirit. I am a partaker of the divine nature. Hallelujah. So, I got two more quotes I want to read to you. And I'm going to pray over you. Hallelujah. I have a quote by... This person's name is Alexander McLaurin, and Alexander McLaurin said this. He said, the divine becomes partaker of the human in order that the human may partake of the divine. 
you want to hear it again? The divine becomes partaker of the human. Spirit of God comes to live inside of us in order that the human may partake of the divine. And one more. Edith Wharton. Edith Wharton said this. She said, there are two ways of spreading light. To be the candle or the mirror that reflects it. I will. There are two ways of spreading light. This divine nature that we have, this divine nature that we're partakers of, that it reflects. And the author, Edith Wharton, used it as this being a part of that divine nature that's reflecting. It wants to reflect. So one of the tasks that happens to us as we're growing in this is learning how to let, let the candle, let the divine nature, let it be the light that shines. And our part, she said then, this. There are two ways of spreading light. To be the candle or the mirror that reflects it. We were taught recently about that we're looking and beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. So this was, to me, was one of those parts right behind that. If we're looking in a mirror to see the reflection that's what's going on, then it, watch again. So it's not just this way that we're beholding as in a glass the mirror of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, but watch it's so that it turns this way so that we reflect. Yes. Yes. And the light shines. So the people see the light that shines. And they give glory to God for the light that shines. That you reflect. Hallelujah. Anybody get out of anything out of the Word tonight? Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for being with us. We thank you, Lord, tonight for the truth, the Word of God, Lord, which does not lie and does not tell fabrications, but Lord, it is the truth. Lord, I seal tonight this Word in our hearts, that it would not be stolen by the enemy, that we would not lose it, but Lord, that we'll keep it in our hearts and in our mind. And as this Word, Lord, will work on our unrenewed mind to make it more renewed, so that one day when we see you, that we'll stand before you with a renewed mind. Lord, I thank you, God, for doing that in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.